Hello, I'm John Kenny, the Relationship Guy, and Relationship Coach, helping people to create healthy, intimate relationships. Welcome to the show, the show where we talk about all things relationships with a mix of my own relationship ramblings and some great guests from all walks of life who will be discussing the importance of relationships to them. Hello, so on today's episode, I have a returning guest. Uh, in the previous episode, we talked, uh, we touched on her research into mindfulness and romantic partner conflict. And she's back today to talk about those results. And I'm really looking forward to talking to her because I have no idea what these results are either. So it's going to be uh, a learning experience for myself as hopefully is going to be for people listening. Uh, welcome back to the show uh, from Pennsylvania, Kira Markov. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me today. Uh, just a quick reminder to to the listeners: Could you just tell them a little bit more about you, what you do, and then and then we'll uh, take a dive into those results. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about those today. Sure. So I am a mental health therapist, a trained yoga teacher, a certified clinical trauma professional, and I have recently been dubbed with the title of PhD in general psychology. Mm-hmm. So my focus was mindfulness and romantic partner relationships. Um, And I'm really excited to talk about the results today, too, because uh, my passion is really reading research, understanding research, and then figuring out, like, okay, what do I do with this now? What are the practical applications of the research? So that's what I'm really excited to talk with you about today. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That, Because my coaching programs are about the practicalities of putting things into place now that we can understand what's going on. So, again, I'm really looking forward to this. So please, to tell me what the results were. Sure. So just a little bit of background on my study. Essentially, um, participants completed questionnaires where they rated uh, themselves on certain aspects of mindfulness and then certain types of behavior that come up in conflict interactions. So there were five facets or dimensions of mindfulness and then six uh, conflict behaviors. So essentially what my research did is it did like a one-to-one correlation between each of the five dimensions of mindfulness and each of the six conflict behaviors to say like which parts of mindfulness affect or don't affect behaviors during conflict. Yeah. So it's just a little bit about like kind of the, the paradigm that I was working with. Yeah. Um, and one really interesting part is that I actually had to throw out a complete dimension of mindfulness because the results of the study um, showed really bad, like it, what's called internal reliability, which means people would rate themselves both really high and really low, which doesn't make sense if it's supposed to be measuring the same thing. And so I actually had to throw out all of the data on the observing facet of mindfulness, which is really interesting because when people think about mindfulness, they think about paying attention to something or observing something, noticing something. It's almost synonymous with mindfulness. Um, And so my mental health brain kicked in and was like, you know, why would that happen? And really the kind of best guess that I have is that this idea of observing or paying attention to something can be both from a place of mindfulness where there's um, acceptance, non-judgment, kindness, compassion, or from a place of anxiety. There's a term called hypervigilance, which means that 
I am so anxious and on edge that I'm paying attention to every single detail that's going on inside and outside of me. And so that was a really interesting finding. And I think there's a lot of good application there, but I'll kind of set it aside for now because what you're really interested in is what were the results? (laughs) (laughs) No, we can come back to that too, because it's very interesting because it is, it depends on how you're looking at it. Exactly. So you can be observing, but you can be observing from a place of anxiousness or you can be observing from a place of experiencing from this, you know, position of of kindness and just wanting to be a part of something. Mm -hmm. And so it really depends, like, am I on edge? Am I waiting for something bad to happen? Am I feeling unsafe Mm -hmm. or am I just really in the moment and I want to actively participate and engage in what's going on? Mm -hmm. And that's really different. And it has a lot of impact on the way that interactions go. If I'm, you know, bated breath waiting for you to say something critical, that's really different than if I'm just here and listening to everything that you have to say, seeing your body, your body language and everything. Um, so I think that does really play a part in the interactions. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a whole new study there, isn't there? <laughs> for, mm. that, there is, and there's a lot more research to be yeah, done for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, what, what would make someone look at it from such a different point of view? Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. Um, so the um, kind of positive results or significant results that I found were um, acting with awareness, which is a facet of mindfulness where we, you can think about it kind of as like having intentionality, not having behaviors based on, you know, habit or instinct or just like pure reaction, but being able to say, this is what I want to say. This is what I want to do. You know, being able to follow through on intention based on whatever your goal for the situation is, which I mean, you can just imagine with a conflict interaction is really important. So what my research found is that more acting with awareness, so higher intentionality was related to lower um, interactional reactivity, which is you can think about it as like escalation, yelling, arguing, um, you know, raised voices, things like that. Um, and then also lower levels of domination where one person is trying to say like, oh, it's my way or the highway. When you have somebody able to act with intention, they are less likely to show domination. Okay. okay. Uh, which I thought was really interesting, but no significant results with acting with awareness and compromise or um, avoidance, which is like, I just don't want to have an argument. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to not have an argument. Okay. Um separation or submission. Those were the other behaviors that there were not significant results here, but acting with awareness was significant with interactional reactivity, which we can think was like the difference between addressing a situation and having an argument. Because conflict is just any point of disagreement between two people. And so that can feel like just a normal conversation where we're talking through possibilities, how we want to handle the situation, obviously, or it can feel like an argument, things get heated, voices start to raise, we might feel a little bit unsafe or start to feel kind of tense, mm-hmm. right? So that's really what that interactional reactivity piece is, which I don't know about you, John, but I know in a lot of my conflicts, that's the one where I'm like, I want to get rid of that piece. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. interesting you know? what you say there about conflict as well. The conflict is just about having a having an interaction with somebody about maybe on a different page or something rather mm-hmm. than, you know, some people see see conflict as just having a conversation. But some people don't see conflict in argument. It's really interesting how people then use the word conflict. But I just want to come back to what you said. You were saying that intention was the only one that made a significant difference to being able to resolve the conflict in a more positive way. The other, the other didn't make any difference. Oh, no, no, no. Um, 
intention when you compare it to the six behaviors only um, was just those two interactional reactivity and domination. But there were other facets of mindfulness that also affected interactional reactivity and domination. So with, with, with intention, I guess that's a really, is that like setting a boundary for yourself in a way, isn't it? It's like going and saying, this is what I want to impart. This is how I want this to come across. This is what I want to say. Is that what you mean by intention? Um, what you're describing would really actually fall more on the describing um, facet of mindfulness. That's about taking what you're feeling and putting it into words. Okay. The acting with awareness part of mindfulness is really being able to have a level of control over our behaviors. Okay. Is really what that's speaking to. Um, and oftentimes in conflict, when it gets escalated, you know, people say like, oh, I saw red or, you know, I just started saying things and then I regretted them later. Mm. So it's really about having that influence over our behaviors during that situation. Um, so okay. it kind of makes sense then that it would be related to interactional reactivity, which when I think about that, I think about somebody acting off of emotion versus really thinking through what they want to do and say. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Um, describing that we just talked about actually was the only facet of mindfulness that was related to compromise, which makes sense. The better I am at putting my thoughts and feelings in words, the more likely we are to be able to compromise. Mm-hmm. Again, a lot of this makes logical sense, yeah. um, which is nice. And I think that a lot of a lot of research, that's what it does. It takes what we already intuitively know and kind of help put it into words and help us like be consciously aware of it instead of just, you know, intuitively knowing it. Yeah, so we can have a look to see actually what do how do I want to engage in this space and which is the mm-hmm. best way for me to do it to get the result kind of thing that I'm looking for in one and when I'm entering this space. Exactly. And that's the practicality of this research is each of these parts of mindfulness you can take as a skill that can be learned. So if you're saying I really want to work on being able to compromise better with my partner, you could say, well, you know, the describing facet of mindfulness can help you do that. And so then you can work on how do I mindfully describe what I'm thinking and feeling and needing? What does that look like? And that's an actual skill that you could practice or somebody could help you practice. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of just a little sneak peek on where I think some of the practicality comes in. Because sometimes we just feel like we know we want to make a change, but we don't know how. And so that's why I love this research is it says, here are all the things that are happening. Here's how we can make certain changes. What change do you want to make? And those are the skills that we can work on. And it makes it really easy and accessible. Yeah. So so when it comes to being able to, so would you say like this would then be a really good thing to say, okay, when I have something that I need to address within myself, within my relationship, from your research, uh, using mindfulness in, in, what kind of uh uh what's the word i'm looking for in what kind of headspace do you think it would be then best to approach i guess, I guess it's going to vary depending on what the thing is but from the, the research what is the best kind of headspace you think it when you're entering the uh, a, a discussion which has a likelihood of some kind of conflict yeah so what you're going to want to focus on are behaviors or skills that decrease domination, decrease interactional reactivity, and then increase compromise, which based on my research would be acting with awareness, describing, and non-judging. 
So that's the space that you want to come from. And you might need to do some prep work on that. So if you're already feeling really riled up, you're feeling angry, you're feeling hurt, maybe you're feeling resentful, you're feeling unsafe, disrespected, you're going to want to sit with that and kind of work through some of that before you go and approach it with anyone else, whether it be a romantic partner or a friend or a parent or whoever, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of this research is also applicable to any other kind of relationship that you have. Um, So you can go, you can sit with that, you can acknowledge and validate all of those feelings. And then you can say, you know, you bring in this describing piece, right? How do I want to convey this feeling in a skillful way that is true to myself and also is phrased in a way that's most likely to be accepted and understood by my partner or whoever without causing defensiveness, right? Because that's really the goal here is to be able to have a conversation where everybody is able to stay present um, and they're able to hear what's being said. And so we can come at something, you know, really harshly and you might have every reason to, right? You might be perfectly valid in your anger, right? That doesn't make it helpful. Mm -hmm. And so Part of mindfulness is about choosing what's effective and what's helpful, even if, you know, something else is perfectly valid, right? So then you can take validity out of the equation. Yeah, but I guess you could still validate yourself in that space. Exactly. You could Mm -hmm. still say, actually, I am very angry about this. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you could probably even express that to the person if you feel like it's an appropriate thing for you to. I'm actually feeling very angry. But rather than Mm -hmm. expressing that anger in an emotion, Mm -hmm. maybe describing, like you said, that I'm actually quite angry about this. Right. Rather than saying, like, you're a piece of trash, you can just (laughs) say, hey, it made me feel really angry when this happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But it's actually funny that you mentioned that. So in the research that I was doing, I actually found some research that suggests that um, hiding or like kind of withholding an emotion is more harmful to your relationship than simply admitting that you're having a difficult feeling. Okay. So, you know, often people will say like, oh no, I'm not angry at you when you know that they are. That's actually more harmful to your relationship than simply saying, you know what? I am really angry about what's happened. Yeah. I can imagine. Cause like you said, not only you hold withholding that within yourself, but you're not being honest about how you feel to the other person. So they don't really know how you're feeling but like you said probably, they probably can get to a certain degree yeah, exactly i know how you're feeling but since you're not willing to admit it or have a conversation with me now there's no hope for resolution mm-hmm. because you're not even willing to admit that you're feeling it so how are we supposed to address it mm-hmm. because then you're, you're probably not willing to accept any kind of apology that i might offer and repair attempts are so important in relationships because we do we hurt people's feelings we say things that we don't mean in you know moments of mindlessness right opposite of mindfulness you know and so it's important to be able to offer those repair attempts and then for your partner or whoever to be able to accept them mm. but if we just hide our feelings if we aren't willing to acknowledge our feelings any hope for resolu- resolution or repair quickly gets lost and that's very harmful to a relationship yeah and i guess like the, the the other one you mentioned was non-judgment and it's quite hard yes. sometimes isn't it to to not enter some kind of uh discussion if you are angry upset w- mm-hmm. without coming in with some kind of predisposed sort of judgment of of the other person that you're going to be talking to why they've done what they've done and all sorts of manner of things right or you were wrong or this was better or you know yeah um what kind of judgments do we make about people? If you had just listened to me, I told you so, mm-hmm. right? 
all yeah. of those are judgment statements where people can quickly feel criticized, <laughs> yeah. but it's really easy to do, you yeah. know, because that's the way that our brain works. Our brain says either this is right or this is wrong. This is good or this is bad. Yeah. Um, but then once people are feeling criticized or they're feeling unsafe in a conversation, I mean, you know, it's a lot more difficult to want to be vulnerable. Mm. If I'm not feeling safe, I'm not going to be vulnerable. (laughs) Most people have entered something already. If you're expecting some kind of uh, pushback or or, uh, disagreement or something, you you generally find just putting yourself in a headspace to act out with that in mind, aren't you? Rather than Mm -hmm. saying with your study is to be more mindful about how you approach these situations. Exactly. Yeah. Have the internal awareness for your own state of being. And that's why I say kind of go off to be with yourself first before you try to approach it with somebody, just because that's a lot to try to process if you're also having a conversation with someone. Mm -hmm. So it's best to kind of separate that out, take some time for yourself, notice your feelings, kind of sort through some of those layers, right? So we have the first layer, which might just be like anger or, you know, harsh criticism. And we can say like, okay, you know, a boundary was violated or I'm feeling unsafe in some way. So you can go to that second layer. Am I feeling hurt? Am I feeling scared? And then you can go to a deeper layer, which is like, okay, what is the need here? Am I needing affection? Am I needing reassurance? You know, am I needing sleep or food? Right. And so then you can start to say like, okay, here's the need. And that's where we communicate from, right? Our need, because nobody's a mind reader. Like if you can say, I'm feeling angry, I need x then your partner can say oh yes thank you for telling me and then does x ideally not all partners are so wonderful but like (laughs) this would be the ideal situation (laughs) i guess there needs to be some there some extra mindfulness when you express this in a mindful way and it isn't Mm -hmm. in a mindful way and like Mm -hmm. you said a mindless way if and then you can't like you said you can be as mindful as you like if and you can put this across with the best of intention mm-hmm. um, and get yourself in this centered space as much as possible, knowing what you're in this to do. Mm-hmm. You could still get that fight back, couldn't you, from somebody else? You can. And there's actually been research done on how this works with couples. Mm-hmm. And I, so I read a research study that showed and they did it based on gender lines. And I don't think gender lines are necessarily super important, but that's a conversation for a different day. Mm-hmm. But the, the research study found that female mindfulness predicted lower levels of interactional reactivity and domination in male partners. Mm-hmm. And so even though we think, yes, it is, you know, no relationship is a well, one-sided street, no. right? It's two people being involved. However, having a grounded party and a center party helps things not to escalate. And so if I'm able to stay calm and have a conversation, you are also more likely to be able to be calm and have a conversation. It's not a guarantee, but the research yeah. does suggest that it's fairly effective. And I would imagine that would be true because all the research and everything I've ever done is a kind of masculine feminine energy and generally the male is the masculine. You know, it's not always going to be the case, but men don't like to be approached with criticism or harshness or being told what to do or anything like that. They want they want a more of a feminine energy to come towards them to to have these kind of spaces right whereas if you come Mm -hmm. to someone in masculine energy whether it is a male or a female with more of a critical judgment Mm -hmm. judgmental approach they're very unlikely to uh take that very well and you are going to end up escalating the situation 
So I can see where that research would come in that uh, on a on a gender scale, so especially that a male would respond more uh, uh, emotionally or more defensively, mm -hmm. uh, even more aggressively, if you come at them with without the intention of being uh, more open to a discussion. And right. it's like a phrase, isn't it? It's not what you said. It's the way you said it type thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. The one thing that I love too about mindfulness is that the, the Sanskrit word that was originally translated to mindfulness is also sometimes translated as just being in remembrance. And so I think part of mindfulness that becomes really important in situations like this is to have the remembrance that we are being intentional and making a change. And the other person might not be in that space. They might not have the tools or be ready. Mm. We don't know necessarily what's going on inside of them. Yeah. And so having that remembrance that we can come, we can bring mindfulness to someone, we can try to resolve something and they might not respond. And that's okay for now, right? It's not okay if that happens every time for years and they're being, you know, abusive and critical and things. So, you know, this yeah. isn't like a blanket forgiveness for people to treat you however they want. Yeah. However, it's important to not get discouraged the first time and know that it's a practice for you. And it's also a practice for them because changing dynamics in a relationship takes a lot of hard work, takes a lot of consistency. It's not just a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. Yeah. And, and then you could actually quite surprise someone, can't you do if you yeah. you're used to the dynamic approaching each other in one certain way. And then all of a sudden you think, actually, I need to do this a different way because it never really gets us anywhere. Mm hmm like what's going on <laughs> what i'm used to this is very and that could put them on guard in itself couldn't it and it's funny because i actually like to warn people and i'll tell my clients this too when they're like practicing a new thing that i'll say like you know it's perfectly okay to go to your partner or go to whoever and say hey you know i talked about this with my therapist or whatever like i'm going to try to respond this way i would really love your help in supporting this mm. you know because i have a lot of people who come to me that they have conflict and then you know they try to walk away to like get some breathing space but their partner like follows them and is like no we need yeah, to talk yeah. about this yeah. and so in situations like that it can be really helpful to to warn them ahead of time it's like hey this is what we i've noticed it's not helping me i would like to try something different i'm going to try to walk away and i need you to give me some space and we'll come back to it once i've calmed down and then when you're in the conflict they may start to follow you again because they're not remembering the conversation right they're acting out of habit but you can say, hey, remember that conversation that we had, right? Instead of trying to have that conversation for the first time during an escalated conflict. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because like you said, it's not, you're you're unlikely to say it in a measured way as well, right? But right. funny you used to say, I was, I was having this, a conversation with somebody the other day and they were saying about walking away. And when someone walks away from their abandonment and rejection, stuff is all triggered. Yes. So if you're going to give, even if you're giving them a warning, it might not necessarily be that they're able to sit in that space. Would you say then that um, there needs to be a, 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 a conversation about how this space is going to be given? Because if, mm -hmm. if, like, if, if I am walking away from you and one of your triggers is rejection or abandonment mm -hmm. and, and start to chase me, it's going to be difficult if that need is really powerful in you to right let me go even though i'm saying like i need some space you're not going to give me that space yeah so i would say that definitely needs to be a conversation and it is going to be difficult mm -hmm. and so the person with the abandonment or the the rejection sensitivities um needs <laughs> needs to work on some self-soothing mm -hmm. essentially 
because space is important to be able to process. In fact, there's a lot, there's a lot of couples research out there. If you're familiar with the Gottmans, um, one important skill set is called physiological soothing, which means like once my stress response is escalated, all bets are off. Like no helpful processing happens. I need to go get my body back into a state of calm and then we can resume the conversation. So that's really, really important. And so if you're a person who experiences that kind of anxiety, you also need to do that physiological soothing, right? And so there are different ways you can do it. Um, One person said, said it was really helpful. Their partner actually recorded something for them to listen to when they were feeling that way. And the recording um, said things like, uh, I just, I need some time to calm my body so that I don't say anything hurtful to you. I'm doing this because I love you. I'll be back in five or 10 minutes. This doesn't mean the relationship's over. We're still fine. You know, all of those things that a person needs to hear in order to feel reassured. So then when they walked away, this person could play that tape and it was their partner's voice saying these things and it helped to calm them enough that they wouldn't get worked up into a panic attack. Yeah, no, that's a really good idea because sometimes just saying, look, don't worry, I am going to be back mm-hmm. isn't, isn't going to be enough to alleviate the anxiety that someone could right. find themselves in or put themselves in if you if you did decide to take some space. Now, I'm also a big fan of scaffolding, which means you... Uh, do something that might not be ideal long-term, but you do it for now because that is what works for you and what you need. So I would say this would, that would be a first step is having your, your partner or whoever create a recording, but eventually you will want to get to a place where you can do that for yourself because it's important to be empowered and to have full confidence that you are able to manage all of your feelings and all of your emotional needs. It's great to have people there, right? It feels really good when somebody wants to soothe us, but it's important to know that we can do that for ourselves. So what you can do then is create also your own set of soothing practices. You could create your own recording with your own voice. That's also telling you these things. Um, But I do think that you will want to get to a place where you don't rely on other people to soothe you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I had a client recently who just used to hug themselves yeah you know again because again that's i said to him so if you were a kid you know because generally this lack of self-soothing comes from not being soothed as a child um if you were a kid and you needed soothing as a child or you saw yourself distressed as a child what Mm. would you need and they said oh you know i think i just need someone to give me a big hug so well next time just give yourself a big hug and that's what they did so they gave themselves a big hug and that was enough for them to feel soothed enough like you said to bring that distress down and and anxiety down and be able to manage them their own emotions in that space yeah that's beautiful oh there's so much good research on skin to skin contact and you know (laughs) brain chemicals that get released during hugs and all of that so i love it i love it um the other thing about non-judging too that i wanted to bring up is that it's not just non-judging for your partner it's non-judging for yourself that you are accepting of all thoughts and feelings that you may have and you don't judge your own thoughts and feelings as unacceptable or wrong or invalid mm. that everything that you're feeling, everything that you're experiencing is valid, mm. right. And deserves a place and space in your life. Even if we're not going to act on whatever behavior impulse comes along with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important to understand, isn't it? That even though, and sometimes like I, I know I've done this myself as well, like the reaction or the space that you're in is, is quite unnecessary, but, don't judge yourself for that unnecessary emotion it's about under trying to understand because if you then start telling yourself off and invalidating yourself you're very right. likely to feel 
worse and and heighten your emotional state or mm -hmm. shut yourself down completely so you just don't address things anyway yeah i tell people sometimes and they get shocked but i say i don't believe in overreacting mm -hmm. i do believe that sometimes a current reaction is based on more than the current situation mm -hmm. but when you dig underneath just like what you were saying there's always something behind it mm -hmm. right we don't just feel things for no reason. Like that's not how our brain and our body work. Sometimes we we learn unhelpful lessons or we learn unhelpful ways of reacting and responding to things, yeah. but there's always something behind it. And that's why I say every emotion is valid and we peel back layers, yeah. right? So for the rest of your life, you may be peeling back layers of why does this bother me so much? You know, and it probably is a, a lifetime of things no yeah almost almost certainly there's for the deeper triggers there's uh like you said there's layer upon layer of why yeah. one that exists and hopefully like you said if you approach your your person that you want to have this conversation with in mm -hmm. in the right way they are more open to helping some kind of resolution in that space because mm -hmm. that clearly is if they could then engage in a, maybe a conversation about why you feel the way that you do as well because mm -hmm. uh, they might not understand they might go okay I don't understand why you feel the way you do why you're angry I don't really get it because I don't understand what I've done that would trigger some this level of kind of emotion in you then if they are able to sort of say okay could you tell me more about why you feel the way that you feel then maybe we could mm -hmm. do something about that in the future right and even that question of like why do you feel the way that you do can come from two really different places yeah, from one place it can come from a place of really um empathetic understanding and curiosity and a wanting to understand and for the other from another place um i could see it also coming from a place of somebody wanting to invalidate it right so they try to share and you say well that's not a good enough reason yeah. it's not helpful and that's very judgmental Hugely judgmental. Yeah. And I th again, I think that's all about the tonality and stuff, isn't it? Yes. It's about it's about gently saying again, because I think um, I can't remember what it was. I think it was one of my trainings that I did is you never ask your clients why. And I was like, mm. well, no, you do, because I think yeah. it's a question. But again, it's it's asking it in a I think the the words are in an empathetic, empathetic ways where you where you put it is saying I'm, I'm interested, I'm curious. Right. I mean, I want to understand this with you, not mm -hmm. I want to you to tell me so I can then invalidate you. Right. But people make right. this assumption of criticism. And yeah. so if somebody asks them why, you know, there's this defensiveness sometimes mm -hmm. that comes with it. Yeah. And so it's about creating a space where you can trust the intention of caring and curiosity mm -hmm. instead of having this assumption that you're going to criticize me if I just try to explain myself. And that's really difficult. But I think about it a lot in conflict of changing the mindset from me versus you to me and you together as a team facing a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. Most. There's something I, I was looking at the other day. It was a, a, some, a relationship uh, seminar. And I can't remember what they called it, but it was, um, and I'm not sure if this is relevant or not, it just popped into my head is if I'm coming at a place where I'm making it about me, I'm coming from a place of shame. And if I'm coming from a place mm -hmm. where I make it about you, I'm coming from a place of blame. Um, and it was about how we can come together in a space where we don't make it about either of us. Right. And, and it's about just saying, okay, this is a problem. How do we mm -hmm. problem? Because if I'm coming from a place where I'm accepting all the responsibility 
uh, the lady labelled it as a shame space because all I'm doing is self-blaming. But if I'm then coming from it as a, actually it's all your responsibility, I'm just coming from a, a, a blaming you space. Um, That's so interesting. Mm. It reminds me of a, a Buddhist phrase they were talking about enlightenment. They say, if you are blaming other people, you're not enlightened at all. If you blame yourself, you're halfway there. And if you blame no one, then you have achieved enlightenment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's, that's the way, isn't it, though, is it? Because most of the time there isn't a need to blame. It's just not helpful. Yeah. Like, what does it matter whose fault it is? How does that solve the problem? Yeah. I, I guess it depends what it is. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. if you were talking about yeah. um, what caused a situation to happen so that you can avoid it happening again in the future, yeah. it's important to identify how it happened. Mm. But if you're just trying to say you deserve to feel bad about this, this is your fault, you're the reason that we're all suffering, that's yeah. not really helpful. No. no, most definitely no. And again, in most of the time, it's it's just going to put, put a bigger wedge between you than, and, and nothing's ever going to get resolved, you know, because you're either going to be one of those people that's just going to come massively defensive and fight back, or you're going to be someone who's mm. so much lacking in sort of self-worth and self-esteem that you're just going to absorb all the blame and again go back right. into the game space right if you're a person that likes not the word likes if you're a person that tends to shame yourself then if someone else knows that um they're very likely to use that against you and blame mm -hmm. you for everything as well so that, that you can just own everything that's wrong in a relationship oh <laughs> there's actually a therapy intervention style and they work on um like social effectiveness skills and one of the skills for self-worth effectiveness is not over-apologizing. Because mm. a lot of people will do that. Mm. Um, sometimes yeah. it comes out of a trauma response. There's a lot. I could have a whole hour just to talk about that. But yeah. I thought it interesting to kind of pop in here is sometimes uh, our first instinct is to just want to apologize, take the blame so that we can move on. We don't have to have an argument. And mm. that falls under kind of like the submission or avoidance um, behaviors that I was talking about earlier. Mm. And again, it doesn't resolve the conflict. It just makes you feel bad. <laughs> yeah, most definitely, because you're just accepting all the responsibility, aren't you? It's interesting because we could, I've actually done a couple of other podcasts. So there is the one that we talked about, about touch earlier on, about hugging. I've done a podcast mm -hmm. about the, the significance of human touch. Uh, mm -hmm. and so done one about apologizing why people won't apologize. Mm -hmm. people find it difficult to apologize why people over apologize um mm -hmm. again when i'm generally in myself and when i'm working with my clients it's just like sorry once is enough yeah. generally again depending on the repercussions of what you've done because sometimes you might need to some people might need you to apologize more than once if they're really struggling with what you've done uh but generally you can't keep apologizing regardless of right. Because you know, sorry doesn't really go anywhere after a certain amount of time. And you are gonna generally, if you have to keep saying sorry for something, you are gonna some kind of resentment or defense or is gonna come up within you eventually. Well, you can't, can't, can't I've said sorry so many times, I can't say it again. Um, but it clearly isn't isn't enough for the person that you right, know, they're not accepting your apology for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, because mm. yeah, it's that actions thing rather than words. Um, I mean, this is this is all fascinating conversation, isn't it? There's so much to to become unpicked. So, if you were to, I mean, I, I guess you'd had to write a summary for your for your research. Um, if if you could sort of summarize what your findings were, so that people can uh, take away if they if they are 
And again, this doesn't matter what relationship you're in at all, does it? I mean, I was thinking of work relationships even as well. You know, if someone's something's happened at work and you want to talk to your boss about something or you need to bring someone in to talk to them about something is 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 there are so many ways that this can be used in all types of relationships how would you maybe summarize the 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 mindfulness approach to conflict so i i have effectively put all of my research into one meme and it goes (laughs) keep calm and be kind to yourself and others okay so that's that's really kind of kind of simple isn't it when you think that's, that's really what it boils down to you know, is find find ways to help soothe yourself so that you can come from a calm and centered and grounded place and offer yourself kindness and then let that kindness overflow to whoever you're interacting with. Mm-hmm. And I guess there's also the, the remaining in a mindful space regardless of the response that you get to, right? Because Yeah, that's a really difficult practice. Mm-hmm. Honestly, John, I've been doing that for... <laughs> 10 plus years and I'm still working on it, you know? So it's, it's also about not getting, not getting discouraged. Mm. You know, you might try and you might get it right one out of 10 times. Well, that's better than zero. And the more you practice it two out of 10 times, three out of 10 times, you know, and that does make a difference in your relationships and it makes a difference for yourself. Mm -hmm. But I I guess the kind of the, the other, the other point that is if, if it doesn't matter sometimes how mindful you are, the mm-hmm. other person isn't going to respond. They're going to react, yeah. aren't they? And they're going to react in, in, in a different way. And I guess it's then, I guess my, my next thought process, my next mindfulness step for me would be, okay, I'm going to enter this in, in a mindful space. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be non-judgmental. I'm going to mm-hmm. do what I need to do in order to try and create the, the conditions where this works as well as possible. But mm-hmm. I also need to be mindful that this might not make the blindest bit of difference to the person I'm talking yeah. to. Yeah. And I still need to become, I still need to maintain that mindful space for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that comes down to boundaries. I think of boundaries on a spectrum from connected to protected, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, the middle ground is the healthiest area. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, difference in what that can look like based on relationships, goals, etc. But it comes down to if a person's not safe to be around, they're not safe to be around. And you have to do what you have to do to make sure that you stay protected. Yeah. You know, you can't let somebody abuse you and make you feel like a trash person, no matter how mindful you are. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> you can't keep being mindful with them, can you? Right. You don't, you're not, you're nobody's, you're nobody's punching bag. Yeah. 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 My intention now is to never talk to you again. <laughs> doesn't matter what I say, how I say it, what I do or how I do it is not right. work for you. Right. So I, I need to be, uh, I need to be very self aware and self-protective mm-hmm. and 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 just generally do good for me by not being around this relationship as much as possible yeah which is sad and difficult and i would highly recommend working with a professional if you're mm-hmm. struggling you know with these feelings there's no need to do it alone no, definitely not there are people out there kira included and myself that will be able to uh assist you if there are relational difficulties that you're experiencing and you want to uh, change the space for yourself uh kira we we need to talk about loads of different things don't we Every, everything that you've brought up today which <laughs> we could have another 45 hour hour episode on and talking about um is there anything that we haven't touched on about the research that you wanted to mention before 
we finish up and then maybe tell people if they wanted to reach out to you, how they can get in touch. I think we pretty much covered everything from the research side, but I will say on my website, yeah. which is uh, connectionsmindbody.com, I actually did create a creating mindful connections um, like video course that's broken down into four modules that people could go and check out if they were interested. So the modules are communication, um, physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, and personal wellness. And so you can use this for romantic relationships, friendships, families, whoever, but it's just a little video course with some more practices, education. Um, so awesome. So do go check that out if you're interested. I might even have a look at that myself. Um, because you know, the, the work that you do, the knowledge that you've got is is amazing. So thank you so much for taking the time to do the research in the first place and and then putting it out in the world, which is going to help uh, people to be able to um, hopefully improve how they communicate in their relationships. That's the hope. It's all about connecting with self and others, because I truly believe that is what makes life worth living. We are here to connect. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We are a connected species and, and it's a fundamental need to have yeah. a, a level of connection in order to feel, to be fulfilled and feel whole and happy. Yeah. Mm. I could go on about a ton of research about loneliness and the problems with loneliness, but I won't because I know we're running out of time. <laughs> let's, 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 let's do a part three for sure, because again, it's a very interesting topic in itself. Um, the yeah. amount of people I speak to that are in relationships because they don't want to be lonely. Yeah. The, the things that the loneliness brings up for people. Yeah. Um, so it can be a really, really tough space. Yeah, for sure. Um, Kira, thank you for your time. Um, thank you, John. Thank you for having me. We'll, we'll book in and, and I, think, I think loneliness will be a great topic to talk about. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, follow and review the show. That is very much appreciated. And please do reach out if you would like to know more about how you can create healthy, intimate relationships in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Carl Bond. Although we can't go back and make a brand new start, we can start now and make a brand new ending. I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Relationship Guide.